Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. There is no name like Jesus. If you've been anywhere with us in the last few weeks, you know that we are camped in Matthew chapter 6, the model prayer, the Lord's prayer, or the disciples' prayer, whatever you want to call it. Jesus told us in this manner, pray, in verse 9, in this manner, therefore, pray our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we move through the phrases that make up the model prayer, Jesus did not tell us to go around quoting this prayer. I mean, it's okay if you do, but it doesn't mean anything if you don't understand what you're praying. He said, in this manner, pray. And you'll notice the phrases build upon one another. It begins with our father. We come to our dad, our father, Abba. We have a relationship with him. And then we acknowledge that he is in heaven, the center of authority, the ruler of the universe. He is in heaven, the spiritual world, the the realm. He's the creator. We know, and we want to go there one day. But then we begin the petitions. Hallowed be your name. We want God's name to be glorified on the earth and in the, in the world, in our city, state, nation, and world. And then we come to the next petition. Thy kingdom come, or your kingdom come. It's interesting that this word kingdom, you know, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, they're used interchangeably. Matthew uses it 49 times. Mark uses it 16 times. Luke uses it 38 times. And it speaks of God's kingdom. It's it's also interesting to note that the kingdom of God is never clearly defined in the Bible. And so it means there's a lot of different connotations to it. And that's what we want to look at for a moment. We know that the first word, your, or thy, is a pronoun. The word kingdom comes from the word that means to reign or rule. The um, basilea means to you rule, God. You reign, God. And the word come means to come instantly, suddenly. We want it to happen now. And so when Jesus tells us to pray this, he's saying, Lord, we want you to be in charge. In the Bible, God is referred to as king many times. Let me give you a few instances. Psalm 10, verse 16, the Lord is king forever and ever. Psalm 29, verse 10, the Lord is enthroned as king forever. 
Psalm 47, 2 and verse 8, the Lord most high is awesome, the great king over all the earth, and God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. And then we come to Matthew chapter 2, the passage that we read at Christmas time, which is already happening, it seems to be in all the stores. But, but we read in Matthew 2, verse 2, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Paul writes in 1 Timothy 1.17, now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And then in the, in the book of Revelation, chapter 15, verse 3, great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Now, in a in America, we live in a democracy or a republic, actually. Democracy, we are free, but a republic means people represent us in our government, or at least they're supposed to represent us in our government. And so when you start talking about a kingdom and a king, it just doesn't resonate very well with Americans because we've never had a king. In fact, our country was formed because it got away from a king. But in reality, God is king. God is God. And you and I need to understand that we are praying for your kingdom to come. Now, there's several implications here. First of all, did you know that the kingdom has already come? And so with that in mind, I call it a prayerful progression. We're praying, God, we know your kingdom has come, and we want it to continue to come. Now, not the kingdom that you and I are thinking about one day when Jesus will rule and the millennial reign here on the earth, but we're, t we're talking about a kingdom that has already come. In fact, Jesus said in Mark 1, 15, repent and believe for the kingdom of God has come. He also said in Luke 17, 20, he's speaking to some of the Pharisees. He said, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. So what is he talking about? He's talking about the only one whose life is fully reigned by God, and that was Jesus. He said, I'm here in your midst. The kingdom is here in your midst. It's represented in Jesus Christ. The king has come. The kingdom has come to earth. Why did Jesus come? Now, I know if you grew up in church, you know why he came. He came to save us. But let's think about it. Let's think about the kingdom of God as it's already come. One of the reasons that Jesus came was for the elimination of Satan. 
You see, Satan is the ruler of this world. Now, that does not diminish the sovereignty of God. It doesn't take away from the fact that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. But for right now, he's running loose on this earth. Paul said, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Satan is said to be the ruler of this world. He's the God of this age, as 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4 states. We're living in a world of darkness, spiritually speaking. I don't have to tell you Satan's in charge, do I? Is it any wonder all this nonsense that's going on in our world and all the evil that's going on in the world? It's because Satan is running rampant. Jesus has invaded, God has invaded Satan's backyard. The kingdom has come. He's here. We're part of the kingdom. You're, you're sitting in the kingdom of God right now, not in this building, but in the fact that you're here, you're part of the kingdom of God. Augustine wrote in the city of God that there are two cities, the city of God and the city of man, and they are at war with each other. And ever since Satan brought in his diabolical schemes into humanity, it's been evident that there's a struggle. When you read through the Bible, Noah, for example, was told by God to build an ark because God was going to bring judgment on Satan's kingdom. And so God had Noah build an ark, and it floated, if you want to think of it this way, it floated in the kingdom of God during the judgment of Satan's rule here on this earth when everything else was destroyed. Sodom and Gomorrah were about to be judged, and God told Lot and his family, you get out of here, and they, flee, they fled to the city of Zoar where it was safe, and God brought judgment on that wicked place, that wicked city. I want you to know that even though it looks like Satan's running rampant and Satan is ruler, that God's kingdom is still stronger than Satan's kingdom. In fact, we're told Paul even believed the gospel was at work in the world destroying Satan's kingdom. He said in Romans 16, 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. It also tells us in 1 John 3, 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 through 29, Jesus is accused, after he was casting out demons, he was accused of having a demon himself by the religious leaders. And Jesus said, that is ridiculous. A house divided cannot stand. And then Jesus told the account of the strong man who was bound and his house was plundered. And that strong man represented Satan. And basically what Jesus is saying is Satan is being bound and we're going to plunder his house. We're going to encroach in his backyard. The kingdom of God is going to spread here on this earth. Before Christ, Satan was loose upon the earth and the earth was held in darkness. But when Jesus died and he paid the price of sin and died for us, God put on us our sin. He conquered death, rose again, and now the Holy Spirit living in us, he has unleashed the church, that's you and me, as the lights of this world in this world of darkness 
We're right here in Satan's backyard, and the kingdom of God is growing. Now, it may not look like we're winning, but I've got news for you, good news for you. (laughs) The war's already been won. There's just still some battles going on. He's already defeated. Each time that Jesus liberates a soul that's enslaved to Satan or encourages a saint to go on and share the gospel in this world, he is plundering Satan's house. Anytime somebody comes to know Christ, we are encroaching in his backyard. We are eliminating his kingdom. To every time a person is shown God's grace and receives forgiveness of sin, the kingdom comes. Philip Ryken wrote a book on the Lord's Prayer and described the situation here by comparing it how the Allies defeated Nazi Germany in 1941. Ryken says that for all intents and purposes, World War II was over on D-Day when British and American troops established a beachhead on the, in Normandy of France. Now, he goes on to say there were still a lot of battles to be fought and lives were lost, but from that day forward, Germany was retreating as the Allied forces were encroaching. And he says the same way, though, the cross, at the cross, Satan was defeated. There's still a lot of battles going on. But Satan's already a defeated foe. When Jesus came, he defeated death. In fact, you can sum up the whole book of Revelation in two words. Jesus wins. (laughs) There's a lot of stuff that's going to happen, a lot of stuff that's going on. But when did Jesus win? He won at the cross when he was resurrected, when he defeated death, conquered death. And all death does for us is just run escort service home. See, Jesus came to eliminate Satan's domain. But he also came to evangelize sinners, to save people. When you pray, your kingdom come, you're praying for the salvation of people. You're praying that people will be rescued. Paul even said in Colossians 1.13, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Two kingdoms. And when you come to know Jesus, he takes you out of darkness and gives you light. He, you're, you're no longer a slave in the kingdom of Satan. Now you're a child of God. You go into his kingdom. The kingdom of God, it, it, it means that we're leading people to his kingdom. We want people to know Jesus. To be a part of this kingdom here on this earth, you had to be born. Most of you in here were born, weren't you? I occasionally meet somebody I think may have come from space. (laughs) I'm just teasing you. I'm just teasing you. You had to be born. Jesus said you were physically born on this earth. But he told Nicodemus, in order to be part of the kingdom of God, you must be born again spiritually. And so when you come to Christ, you, you acknowledge to God you're separated, you're lost. And let me tell you something, folks. If you don't have Jesus, you're lost. 
Don't take my word for it. Read the scripture. You're lost. There's no hope for you. There's no middle ground. You're either a saint or you ain't. And you hear me say that a lot. You're either saved or you're not. And so to come into the kingdom, you repent of your sin. You basically say, God, I'm headed the wrong direction. I changed my mind. I'm coming to you. Would you forgive me? And God says, yeah, I will. Because Jesus paid it all. Jesus died. The wages of sin is death. So somebody had to die to pay my price, pay your price, pay your penalty. And when Jesus hung on the cross, the sinless Jesus hung on the cross. God put your sin and my sin on him, and he died. But he rose again. Conquered death, took the sting out of death. And when we pray for people to come to God, I love it when people come to this church. It's a, it's a, it's a family of believers. But we want them to come to Jesus more than we want them to come to our church. Of course, when they come to Jesus, they're going to want to come to our church. <laughs> they're going to want to go to church somewhere. I promise you that. I'm just, I'm just seeing if you're still awake. So when we pray for the lost, how do we pray for them? We pray that the gospel will be clearly presented to them sometime. I want you to think of somebody right now that you know that is not going to heaven when they die. I didn't say they went to church because a lot of people going to church aren't going to heaven. I, I don't know why. I mean, a lot of people think, well, I joined a church when I was a kid or I, was, I did this when I was a kid, but they've never committed their life to Christ. We want to pray that lost people will have the gospel clearly presented to them. God, please let and you named them, hear the gospel clearly. It's a shame to me how many people will go to houses of worship today and not hear the gospel presented. I don't know why they meet. I don't know why they meet. If you don't lift up Jesus, you've failed. And if you don't present the gospel clearly, it's a failure. And we want to pray that the Holy Spirit will convict them of their sin. Listen to what Jesus said in John 16, 8. And when he has come, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. I've got some good news for you. It is not your job to convict people of sin. It's not your job to convince somebody to be saved. You had never saved anybody. And let me tell you this, you'll never talk to anyone about the Lord Jesus that the Holy Spirit's not already there. He beats you to the draw every time. So what's the hang-up? If you share your testimony about how you repented, how you gave your life to Christ, and how Jesus saved you, you cannot do that incorrectly. The only way you can present the gospel incorrectly is if you said you could earn it or buy it or you inherited it. But you know, as well as I do, that it comes by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And that every one of us in here are part of the kingdom of God the same way. We came to know Jesus the same way. We accepted Jesus the same way. You are part of the kingdom of God. What a motley crew we are. <laughs> but 
what binds us together in here? Jesus. Why else would we come together? But we're praying that lost people will be convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit. I learned a long, long time ago that I can't talk anyone into following Jesus. But the Holy Spirit can. And you know, when you share your testimony about how you received Jesus and gave your life to him or how Jesus loves them, and they may not respond to you, but you know what will happen? They may walk off from you, but the Holy Spirit's going to follow them. You cannot run from the Holy Spirit. You can't do it. They're going to follow them. He will follow them. So don't ever feel like you failed, but you pray, Lord, let the gospel be presented clearly to them. May the Holy Spirit convict them and convince them. And and another way to pray for the lost, God, give me an opportunity to share it with them. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, to think of someone, and I put it in these terms, who's not going to go to heaven when they die. I want you to put their name somewhere where you see it daily, and I want you to pray for them. We're real good about praying for the sick, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we need to pray for the lost. And when we pray, your kingdom come, every lost soul that comes to Jesus is part of the kingdom that's coming. We mentioned the progression of the kingdom. Jesus has come. You know, God mentioned back in the garden that the, that the Messiah would come and crush the serpent's head. And, and we've seen, see how the kingdom of God is continuing to grow. And you may think, well, we're not gaining much ground. We're losing ground. Well, you know, the war's not over yet. The war's already been won. The battles are still there. But did you know this, your kingdom come also means there's a personal side to this. There's a personal plea. When we pray, it means that we want Jesus to come and reign in our heart. It's called conversion. One time there was a young man that was talking to Jesus, and and Jesus said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Now, what did he mean? He meant that the man had a head knowledge of what to do, but his heart was not there. And there are a lot of people who are not far. They've got the knowledge of Jesus, and they know all that he's done, but they've never made the commitment of their life to him. And so we're asking, Lord, when you, I want you to come and reign in me. Max Lucado wrote it this way. When you say, thy kingdom come, you're inviting the Messiah himself to walk into your world And you can't have the kingdom without the king. Come take the throne of my life. Come into my marriage. Come into my business. Come into my personal life. Come into everything that I do. Lord, I want you to be on the throne of my life. S.D. Gordon said, in every heart there's a throne and a cross. If self is on the throne, Christ is on the cross. If self is on the cross, Christ is on the throne. And our biggest problem is self. We always want what's ours. We want my kingdom to come. What is your kingdom, Lord? What do you want me to do? 
Archibald Rutledge tells about a friend of his who worked in the turpentine fields. And this friend had a dog who was fiercely loyal to him. One day, Archibald saw his friend crying, and he said, what happened? And he said, you know, my old dog was so loyal to me, he was guarding my lunch pail when a fire happened, and he would not leave the lunch pail, and he burned to death. Dr. Rutledge was sympathizing with him, and his friend said, I always had to watch what I told that dog because I knew he'd do anything I'd ask him. Now, can you imagine how wonderful it would be if Jesus were to turn to one of the angels in heaven and said, you know, I got to be real careful what I ask and started naming David, Jim, Bob, Sue, Joyce, whatever. I got to be careful what I ask them to do because they're going to do it. That's when we want Jesus on the throne of our life. We say your kingdom come, it means that he is in charge. You know, have you ever noticed babies, how unselfish they are? <laughs> when they want something, they're going to scream the place down, but you don't say to them, I'll get to you later. I've got some things I need to do right now. No, they're pretty much preoccupied with themselves. And then children, toddlers, you know, toddlers, they, they um, carry it on. I mean, they may not be playing with a toy, but you let another one of those toddlers come up and take this toy that they're not playing with, and they're going to say, no, you can't have that. That's mine. <laughs> Teenagers, we tell them, you're the king of your castle. You must determine your destiny. You're charting your own course. You govern your own way of life. Society tells us you need to be preoccupied with yourself. After all, you are entitled. After all, you have rights. After all, don't let anybody infringe on this. And so when it comes to Jesus, we don't like the idea that he is to be the ruler of our life. But I want to tell you something, and you're not going to like this. Giving your life to Jesus is not a democracy. It's a dictatorship. Now, we don't like the word dictator because it's got such a negative connotation. But when you give your life to Jesus, you're saying, Jesus, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll, I will obey you. Now, in America, we just don't get that. Well, Lord, I, I have a vote in this, don't I? No, is Jesus the Lord of your life or not? If he's the Lord of your life, you don't have a vote. I told you you wouldn't like it. I didn't get any amens in. <laughs> it's, it's a dictatorship. I don't know who penned this, but here's the title of it. I'll go where you want me to. I'll go where you want me to, God, Maybe. I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord. Real service is what I desire. I'll sing a solo anytime, dear Lord, but don't ask me to sing in the choir. I'll do what you want me to do, dear Lord. I like to see things come to pass. But don't ask me to teach boys and girls, Lord. I'd rather just stay in my class. I'll do what you want me to do, dear Lord. I yearn for thy kingdom to thrive. I'll give you my nickels and dimes, dear Lord, but please don't, don't ask me to tithe. I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord. I'll say what you want me to say. I'm busy just now with myself, dear Lord, so I'll help you some other day. 
your kingdom come on the throne of my life. That's what that means. But did you know there's also a prophecy side to this too? Because we're praying for a prophetic promise to happen. Jesus said he was going to come again. And so when I pray and you pray, your kingdom come, we're praying for the Lord to come on. We know that there's going to come a day when he's going to reign and he will be righteous and just. We think about, we sing about it. There's a land that is fairer than day. And by faith, I see it afar. It's coming. We've buried loved ones at the cemetery and we know that one day we're going to see them again. It's coming, but it's not here yet. We pray that the, the, in Romans 8 that all creation groans for the manifestation of the day when God will be made manifest and the children of God will be made manifest. Hebrews chapter 10 says that Jesus so beautifully paid for our sins, ascended into heaven, sat down at the right hand of God and is waiting for his enemies to become his footstool. Paul wrote in the book of Revelation, he kept saying, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. When you read Revelation, you can almost hear John say, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And by the end of Revelation, we're praying with John, even so, Lord Jesus, come. When's he going to come? At noon today. No, that's when we're going to go. I don't know when he's coming, but I know, I'm, I'm told in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that he's going to come in the clouds with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Interesting. The word meet, M-E-E-T, is the same word used in the scripture when people would meet royalty and invite them to come to their house. So when you meet Jesus, I know he's our Savior, but when you meet Jesus, you're going to meet a king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We're praying for that kingdom to come. It doesn't happen very often, but occasionally I'm at the bedside of someone whose days are very, very numbered. They know it. They're dying. Physically, they're dying. They love Jesus. Just recently, about a month ago, I had to visit with one lady who knew that her days were numbered. She told me, don't worry about it. I've got peace. I know where I'm going. I can't wait to see Jesus, her words. And sometimes I get to tell them, and I know that it probably doesn't make any difference in the world, but here's what one of the things I share with them. I said, when you, when you see Jesus, would you tell him to hurry up and come back and get us? <laughs> and I'm sure it makes all the difference in the timetable. But the fact is, have you ever just prayed, Lord, would you come on back? I have many times before final exams. And foxholes, we, we have a tendency to pray that way. But, but if you think about it, Lord, we want you to come. At the same time, Second Peter tells us that God is being patient for people to come to know him.
selfishly, we want him to come. So not only am I praying for the return of Jesus, but I'm saying, Lord, let your kingdom come on this earth. Let the lost people follow you to be saved. And so if you don't know Jesus today, you're not ready. Joining a church doesn't save you. It doesn't. I want people to come to Southcrest, but at the same time, more than that, I want them to know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, what are you waiting for? What's your hang-up? You repent, turn from your sin. God will forgive you. You place your faith and trust in Jesus. Holy Spirit indwells you. You're his child. He's the boss. He'll tell you what he wants you to do. Would you pray with me? Lord, we lift up those without Christ today that your spirit would clearly speak to their hearts right now, bringing them to salvation. Lord, we lift up the believers in this room and ask you to help us to get self out of the way and put you on the throne of our life, to be obedient to you in all areas of our life. We ask you, Lord, to increase your kingdom. May we always be a congregation who lifts up Jesus and wants people to come to know you. We pray that you would help us You lay on our hearts someone that we can pray for daily that needs you, Lord, that you would present the gospel clearly to them, that you would allow your spirit to convict them and convince them of their sin. And, Lord, we we pray you'd even give us an opportunity to share with them. And so now we ask you, Lord, to speak to the hearts of people within the sound of my voice and that you would bring them to you. In Jesus' name we ask it. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.